Well, good morning, church. Um, Merry Christmas from me as well. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here with you. Christmas is a time of contrasts. Uh, there's lots of tinsel. Actually, there's not a lot of tinsel in here. There's no tinsel. Wendy's, Wendy objects to tinsel, actually. She, I was pushing for tinsel, but I was overruled. Uh, there's lots of tinsel, there's lots of happiness, but there's also a heap of stress, isn't there? Or there can be, at least, in Christmas, rushing around, ticking off the list, making sure you're ready for whatever it is you feel like you need to be ready for. There's lots of fun and family gathering, laughter, reminiscing, sharing tales of the year. And yet, as families gather, gather there can also be tension, can't there, and sadness, the person who was invited who didn't come, who hasn't come for years. There's celebrating and there's times of sitting quietly on your own, contemplating the year that's been. There's, a time, there's time for delighting in much food and drink and there's a time for paying for delighting too much in food and drink. It's a time of contrasts. It's a time of delighting in our Saviour, and yet it can also be a time of being completely distracted from Him by all the trappings that go on with Christmas. It's a time of contrast, and, and, and in some ways that's entirely appropriate because Jesus' birth, as is presented here in Luke at least, has massive contrasts. And indeed, if you look at Jesus' life, it's a life of contrast. And that's going to be helpful for us as we just think for a little bit today about Jesus and His birth. It's going to be helpful for us because not only does it help us to stand in awe of Jesus, our Saviour, but it gives us comfort in the things that are hard, gives us peace and joy in the things that are ordinary and great hope as we look forward to the glorious. Well, as we said a couple of weeks back, if you were with us when we opened up the first chapter of Luke, uh, Luke likes to nail everything down in history and so when Luke starts his passage, he does exactly that. He tells us about the census of Augustus Caesar and so on and so forth. And, and we quickly discover that Moses, uh, sorry Moses, Joseph and Mary have been See, Moses, Joseph and Mary, you can see what my brain does. This is, this is what I struggle with every day. Anyway, um, uh, they're, they're, draw, they're caught up in this. Mary, who's heavily pregnant, uh, they're caught up and they have to travel from their hometown of Nazareth down, or, yeah, down to Bethlehem, away from family and, and friends, right at the time it seems, when Mary is going to give birth, and sure enough, while they are there, uh, we're told the time for her to give birth comes, and she gives birth to a son. Luke was it extremely simply, um, you know, maybe some of the women here have right to feel uh, slightly uh, put out by that, because Luke doesn't give in, you know, doesn't mention the extreme pain and all, the, all that, but she gives birth, and he gives birth to a son. Uh, we, knew, we knew that that was going to happen, didn't we? But I guess, if you think about it for Mary... She gets told she's going to have a son, but actually, you know, there's no ultrasounds. She didn't go in at nine, 12 weeks and find out, oh yeah, it is a son, that's great. Uh, no, this is the first time she knows that it is in fact a son. She has a son. 
and she has to wrap him in cloth and put him in a manger. We're, we're told there's no room in the guest room for them. You, some of you probably grew up like I did, uh, hearing that there was no room in the inn. And the picture I had in my mind, and maybe this was you too, is that Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem for the census. Uh, they looked for a hotel, you know, uh, it, but it was like the Gold Coast at schoolies and there's no room, uh, there's, no, there's no place for them. And so some nice innkeeper, feeling, you know, sorry for them, he puts them in the stable. And that's, that's how that, this... No, but that, that's not how it happened. For a start, they were there for a long, long time, probably years. If you go and think about what happens in Matthew's Gospel, uh, you, can, you can kind of work out how that might be. But they're there for a long time. And in that culture, you don't make relatives, even if they're distant relatives, just kind of go to a hotel. If they're coming to town, you put them up the best you can. And so that's what the guest room is. But the town is full... And even the relatives don't have room in their, their guests, the room set aside for guests to come. And so Mary and Joseph end up in a room normally reserved for animals or at least a room where animals would also use it. And you can't help get the impression, can you, uh, humanly speaking at least, that Mary and Joseph are victims of circumstance. Pregnant, having to travel long distances, for a silly census that some Roman emperor somewhere else decided was necessary. And so she ends up giving birth far from home in a poor place and she has to ha put her brand new baby in an animal feeding trough. Poor, poor, like poor and destitute. Now, of course, God isn't just allowing, they're not victims of circumstance, God's orchestrating all of this and yet, Jesus' life from the very beginning was hard. It was hard for his parents and hard for him. It's also extraordinarily ordinary, isn't it? The baby was born. The baby was fed. The baby's nappy was changed. The baby was put to bed. Like, he's just a baby. There's no page boy that is sent, you know, to the balcony for the trumpeters to announce from the balcony... A baby, the king has been born. There's none of that. There's, there's, it's just entirely ordinary. His life is just like ours, only a harder. And it's worth us just reflecting today as we celebrate the birth of our Saviour into the world that he walked this earth just like us, or maybe worse. He was no prince who grew up in a palace. He was not the popular kid at school. He was not the most pop popular kid at school. And although God did provide for his family through the wise men who came and gave gifts, he was poor. He was not wrapped in cotton wool. He was laid in a manger. He didn't live in a mansion. He was born in a stable. And later on, he had no place to rest his head. He wasn't loved by all. He was rejected by many. And though he was full of love and kindness and grace, he wasn't saved from sickness, torture or pain. He wasn't spared insult, taunting or loneliness. He lived a life like us. He lived a life like us or worse than ours. And so, friends, if you're here this morning and today is going to be actually somewhat of a hard day, 
or tomorrow is going to be a hard day, or the next few weeks, or this next year will be a hard year, know that Jesus knows that way of life. He has walked in your shoes. He knows what it's like. Now, of course, that's not all he knows. He also knows the joys of life. We don't read about it here in, in Luke chapter 2, although we read of Mary and Joseph having one of the greatest joys in life, that is bringing a, a small baby into the world, that's wonderful. But Jesus, in his life, he would celebrate, he would go to weddings, he would enjoy feasts, he would have friends and parties and all sorts of... He knew the joys of life and he knew the ordinariness of life. He ate and he slept and he worked and he cleaned and he maintained... You see, Jesus knows our life. He knows the highs of our lives and He knows the lows of our lives. He experienced it all. He's different to us and yet He's very much the same as us. And so we need never fear to approach Him with anything or think that He does not know or understand our lives. He understands us in every way except for sin He always loved his father and he always loved his neighbour. Well, so as to reinforce to us how lowly this birth is, Luke next mentions the shepherds living in the fields nearby. Now, Shepherds at that time were not particularly highly thought of. In in fact, John Van Dyke reminded Church Council the other day that uh, they were so lowly thought of that people, the Pharisees said, "Don't associate with them, just like you would a leper. Don't 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 go near those shepherds." That that may be true, but notice here they're living in the fields, right? There's no cosy house for the shepherds. There's no warm fire for the shepherd to sit around and, and sit in the, you know, wing-back chairs and smoke a pipe and, and whatever else. So they're out in the fields, they're looking after animals. They're ordinary, lowly people. And there they were that night, sitting around the fire, talking about, you know, where, where will we take the sheep tomorrow? Well, there's good, there's good pasture up there and there's some water over there and, and so on. And suddenly, an angel appears before them and they're terrified they're terrified. The glory of the Lord shone around them. I, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but maybe, maybe it's a bit like that storm that we had the other night, right? And you, it was just flash, 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 flash. Someone put a strobe just outside my bedroom window. Right? Maybe I don't know, but it was terrifying, bright and shiny, presumably. And the angel speaks to them and says, "Do not be afraid." I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then, as if one angel and the glory of the Lord that shone around him wasn't sufficient, a whole host, uh, the the word there is army, so um, like think lots, lots and lots. Many, many angels appear and, well, it says they say, glory to God in the highest. Uh, I've always liked to think they're singing, but I don't don't want to contradict the Bible, obviously, but whatever the case, they're glorifying God in an incredible way. Uh, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those on whom His favour rests, they cry out. (laughs) What a contrast. What a contrast from 
a baby lying in a manger, a couple pushed and around by the, the, the uncertainties of life, uh, from shepherds sitting in a field, dirty, dusty, stinky, sheep looking after people, uh, and then from that to a host of angels crying out, glorifying God. Now, the contrast is important because the, the glory points us to what is significant. The significance is not in, in, in Jesus' arrival, how he arrived. He's just a person like us. The significance is in what he will do. It's not in his arrival. His birth was just like everyone else. It's in what he will do. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born. He is the Messiah, the promised one, the Lord. That is what is significant about uh, Jesus. And so the, the angels highlight that as they appear in the sky. But what's he saving us from? We're told he's a saviour, but what's he here to save us from? Well, he's not here to save us from parties and celebrations, from feasts and laughter, from hanging out with family and friends. That's good news. That would be a bit dull if that was what he was here to save us from, wouldn't it? But that's not, no, no, that, that's good. He did that himself. He's not here to save us from quiet contemplation or work or eating or sleeping or living. No, no, he did all of that. That's just life. And we're told elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus is going to come back again and he's going to begin a new heavens and a new earth and all, a lot of that stuff is going to be there. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that what you really need saving from is a mundane, boring life with work in it. That's not the problem. That you don't have all the things that other people have, that's not your problem. That's not what Jesus came to fix. No, you see, the, the difference between this world and the next world at heart is like the difference between Jesus and us. So he has no sin. He's perfect. And so the next world will be without sin. Jesus came to rescue us from overindulgence, from greed, from attempts to replace the glory and wonder of God with the small and pathetic glory of the things of this earth. Good though they are, parties and food and luxury and experience with laughter and family, wonderful things. But when we, we replace God with those things, when our heart yearns for that more than it does for God, we end up in all sorts of trouble. That is, by definition, sin. And it's so easy, on the, even on the day when we, we gather to celebrate the birth of Christ, to be sucked in and thinking about the small glories rather than the great glory of Jesus. And Jesus comes to rescue us from that and point us back to his Father. And he also comes to 
rescue us from all the disastrous effects that come because we've replaced God. Come to rescue us from all the terrible effects of sin, from poverty and suffering, from being outcasts like some of the people in our account this morning. He came to save us from sin and from the terrible effects of sin. That's why, for the only time in history, at least as far as I'm aware, <laughs> a host of angels appeared in the sky. The only time. This is, you won't find this anywhere else. A host of angels appeared in the air because this baby came to rescue us from sin and the terrible effects and consequences of sin. He came into poverty as a nobody to live under the effects of sin, though he himself did not sin, to rescue us from sin. He left the glory and the majesty of heaven to come and live under the effects of sin to rescue us from sin. Now, while the, did you, did you notice, this is quite, I, I found this quite striking, the, the, the angels come and he's, this wonderful message, uh, the Messiah is born, the Saviour is born, and here you go, here's how you'll be able to find him, uh, he's wrapped in cloths and he's lying in a, in a feeding trough. Oh, well that's a bit odd. <laughs> that's, that's what he says to the, to the shepherds, here's, here's how you're going to find him. Now I guess... Um, it, you know, they would have gone looking for him because of all the angels there. That's kind of something to note. So they probably wanted to go and find him. And this was how they were going to find him. This baby is so unique in his poverty, that's how you'll go and find him. <laughs> and I just want to note two things about the, 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 shepherd's, uh, the shepherd's response to that. Because you know that they go and look for him. And I actually think that's of significance, isn't it? Because if someone... If perhaps one of the other people in, in, in the, in, of the Jews at the time had heard that message, perhaps someone wealthy, perhaps someone high up in the religious kind of group heard, oh yeah, your Messiah's been born and by the way, you'll find him in a, in a, in a food trough. They might have said, yeah, that, probably not the Messiah for me, frankly. I'd rather one a bit more impressive than that. But these shepherds, <laughs> who are already outcasts, already lowly, well, that's no problem for them. They're quite happy to go and find this baby. And so off they go, and they find him. And this is the second thing, having found him, what do they do? They, get, they go and tell everyone, and we read... They returned to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Glorifying and praising God. And again, the religious elite would have looked at this and said, no, no, that can't be, not the shepherds. Not those sinful outcasts. They wouldn't glorify and praise God. That can't be, that wouldn't happen. They would never praise God and yet that's exactly what they do. They tell other people, which is to glorify God, and then they, they, they return home and, and the conversation around the fire isn't, isn't about poor Spot who, you know, hurt his ankle earlier in the day and it's not about the, the field up on the hill and it's not about the water anymore. It's all about 
Jesus. And it's all about God who is doing great things and they, they would have sat around that fire glorifying God well into the night. And friends, that right there is a picture of what Jesus came to do. It's a picture of what the angels said, glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favour rests and God's favour rested on those shepherds. They, that night, they found peace with God through Jesus. They didn't understand how, but they trusted God was doing something and they found peace with him and so they were transformed men. They were men who were rough and ready and, and by all accounts, not for God and they went home praising God and glorifying God and that is why Jesus came. He came so that we would be people who are transformed from being focused on the little things of life and we would praise and glorify God. And he did that through the greatest contrast in the history of the world. Incredible suffering and immense glory. For 30 years later than this, after this I should say, Jesus went up to Jerusalem willingly and knowing what was going to happen and he was turned on by his very people and they demanded that he be crucified, nailed to a cross. He was whipped and beaten and insulted and he hung there, not because he had to, he had the power to come down but he hung there and prayed, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus took the immense pain of being crucified from the very people he came to save. And he took the wrath of God, the anger of God against all our turning away from him and grasping onto things that he gave us to in, enjoy him by. And he... And Jesus took the wrath and the anger of God against all the pain and the suffering that we have caused in this world and Jesus suffered that for us. Incredible, awful suffering that none of us can ever understand and Jesus suffered that. But that is contrasted with His glory. For on the, well, on the day before He was crucified, He said to His disciples, now is the Son of Man glorified. And what he meant was, when I go to the cross, you're going to see how glorious I am, how wonderful I am, because Jesus died willingly in our place. That's glorious. To will he knew what he was going to suffer, and he willingly suffered it for us, so that we could be rescued from sin and the effects of sin and have peace with God so that we can leave this place glorifying God and praising Him. So that we can have our hearts turned around from people who find destruction and death in our pursuit of what is unhelpful for us and find life and joy in the God of the universe. Jesus died for that and the, and the, sorry, the shepherds found that that day. 
And, and for years afterwards, person after person after person after person after person has found joy and peace and praise in God as they have been transformed by believing in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for them. And so it, this morning, friends, will you leave praising God and giving glory to him because of Jesus? That's why he came. That's why the angels appeared. That's why his birth is glorious, not because of how he was born, but because of what he came to do. He came to die in our place that we might praise him and give glory to him and live in peace with him forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus into this world. Thank you that he came, not to live an easy life, not to be fawned over by people, but to, be serve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for us, that we would have peace with you forever, that we could find joy in you forever, that we could be rescued from our sin and all the terrible effects of sin. And Lord, we look forward to living with you in joy and peace because Jesus came to this world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.